In podcast part three, William Roberts offers his advice for aspiring leaders, discusses the traits most important in a leader, and provides his thoughts on how organizations can encourage rather than stifle leadership. Throughout some of your responses, you've offered a lot of worthwhile and insightful advice for aspiring leaders. You also had broken some of your advice for these leaders into kind of eight eight different segments. Can you talk about some of those pieces of advice you'd give to aspiring leaders? Yeah, and and I've got more than eight now. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, and we could probably go back and extrapolate a half a dozen more, you know, from the conversation we just had and, and, and toss them onto this list. But but one, and, and again, these are not in, in, in priority order, do your best to hire people that are better than you are. Mm-hmm. And in my written comments back to you, I threw in a, a quote. I can't remember who said it, and I, and, I, and I don't think it's precisely right, but I put it in quotes anyway. And, and that quote was, if we each hire people who are smaller than we are, we will become a firm of midgets. But if we each hire people who, t- who are taller than we are, we will become a firm of giants. Hmm. And you see the analogy. Uh, and, you know, our, our goal uh, and the leader's goal uh, ought to be to, to build a firm of giants, of course. Um, the second piece of advice I, I gave was make sure you understand the difference between leadership and management. Um, and somewhere, if I can put my hands on it, I remember writing a little commentary about that. I just haven't been able to find it yet. But, you know, on your website, uh, you know, you go, you address that, right. uh, the, the, the contrast between leadership and management. And, uh, you know, uh, if I can find my, my little memo, I'll get that to you. But it's very important to understand the difference between leadership and management, and it's very important never to confuse building a bureaucracy with either with either one of those. Uh, the third one was uh, don't accept traditional organizational models as the gospel. I wrote a memo about this called People and Organizational Charts that I, I, I shared with folks here at Red, which I'm going to get to you to attach to the website. There, there are two thoughts here, you know, uh, and, and I actually, uh, in, in my... Um, in my written comments to you, I mentioned some thinking of, of Charles Handy, uh, whose work I admire, and, and he says that the very word management has its origins in, in the running of households, or some say uh, in, the, in the, the running of army mule trains. And, mm-hmm. you know, that implies control backed by power and authority, and, and uh, goes on to point out that that's why management is a word that's so disliked by those who value autonomy. Somewhere, I think, in my, my, uh, in my comments to you, written comments to you, I, I mention a, a book called FedEx Delivers, which uh, you know, ta- talks about Federal Express. There's a book about Federal Express, obviously, and the way Federal Express approaches business. And interestingly, and I read that book in July of 2006, and interestingly, the Federal Express goes to great lengths to 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 uh, explain to its would-be managers that traditional organizational charts, 
that, that, that are in the form of this hierarchy uh, with the CEO at the top are upside down. Mm-hmm. And that, in point of fact, it's the job of the CEO uh, to support the entire organization, not the other way around. Sure. And uh, to create the environment, you know, to, to, uh, to, um, to you know, to, to, to put in place the, the, the things that are necessary for everyone else uh, to succeed. And the interesting thing is that, that in, in this memorandum of, that I wrote in May of 2006, a couple of months before I read this book, FedEx Delivers, uh, that's precisely the point I was making. So don't, uh, and I hadn't read the book yet, didn't even know it existed. Huh. Uh, but, um, <clears throat> and, you know, and it's, all, it's gratifying to, to come across thinking from a company as successful, you know, as wonderfully successful as Federal Express, that sort of in, reinforces uh, views that you've come to. Right. So I, re- I really like that book. Uh, the fourth one is, is uh, and this kind of goes to the same point, uh, a, uh, a point that uh, Ari DeGuest made in The Living Company, and, and that is, and, it, and we talked about this earlier, and it's the same point uh, that's made in Orbiting the Giant Hairball, to optimize capital. A company must optimize its people. And in order to optimize people, you have to treat them as individuals and, and foster an atmosphere of freedom, which is necessary for, for uh, experimentation and innovation. And, and you'll find that same theme, by the way, in FedEx Delivers. The next, the, the fifth one, the, the fifth piece of advice uh, that I gave uh, was create a positive, powerful culture founded on good values and focused on serving the customer. And that draws a lot on uh, something we talked about earlier, a point that John Wooden made, which was good values attract good people. Right. Never stop teaching and also never stop learning. I'm, I'm losing count of the numbers here. <laughs> but, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop numbering them, and I'll just go on and mention them. Sounds great. All right. Be fair, <laughs> be honest, be caring. The next one was, when, even when you don't have any time, have time for your people. Uh, the, the next one, and, and, you know, words are important to me. I, if you, when you study any aspect of philosophy, you, know, you spend a lot of time on with words. And it's certainly true in political philosophy. You spend a lot of time... uh, I remember one great course I took at Notre Dame called The Concept of Nature and Political Order. And it was a course taught... It was a seminar taught by by Gerhard Niemeyer. And uh, we spent a lot of time on this... the way nature was... the term, the concept of nature, was employed by different political thinkers... And, and, and really at the center of that course was, to some degree, this discussion we, we, you and I had earlier about the Republic, even though it didn't deal with the Republic, it dealed, this course dealt with, largely with the French philosophes and, uh, uh, and modern, uh, thinkers like Nietzsche and, but, um, at the core of it was, um, the dangerous things that happen uh, when uh, nature is no longer viewed uh, as something fundamental. Okay. Um, 
So uh, don't underestimate the, por- the importance of words is my, is my next piece of advice. Um, you know, uh, words are concepts. And when you affect how people think, you affect how they act. So uh, you need to be very, I think you're supposed to be careful with words. Companies are, are uh, uh, you know, use words in, 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 in ways that sometimes I think are, are counterproductive uh, to their real intentions. Mm. And, uh, and I elaborate on that in my, in my written response. Um, learn how to help your people care. Uh, at some point in, in my written responses, I, I suggested that, that one of the, the most important tasks of a leader may be um, how to make sure that enough people care. I, you know, I mentioned earlier this comment, this view from, uh, from Lou Holtz, that you can accomplish anything if enough people care. And when uh, recounting uh, the experience of, of, uh, of this little business that's now become Red Capital, be, coming out of Bank One following the, the merger, the merger between Bank One and First Chicago, uh, and it, as part of that process, I, you know, I, I talked about how fortunate we were and that I was that a, that a fair, you know, genuinely good human being like John McCoy was chairman of Bank One uh, and, and, and put all of that in motion. Uh, but a, a key part of that also uh, was the fact that you know, this in this little business as we were coming out of Bank One, everybody cared. Mm. You know, we we held that business together. Uh, you know, and after John, uh, in my view, unfortunately and unfairly, was um, was um, you know put under so much pressure that he that he decided to to, to step down as chairman. After that happened, we were. You know, we we were off the radar screen, uh, except in negative ways. But nonetheless, uh, we held the business together. We served our customers. We grew revenues. We grew NOI. We we rebuilt because uh, we were left without uh, a back office, without accounting systems, without a lot of stuff. We rebuilt those things somehow, in addition to growing the business and serving customers. And... Um, uh, and we found ultimately found uh, a purchaser uh, who made that made Bank One an offer that was acceptable in terms of, of dollars to buy the business, and, um, and and we did that because enough people cared. Sure. And and so that may be one of the the uh, you know the the most important uh, jobs of a leader. You know, make sure enough people care. So learn how to help your your people care. Right. And, and and as I say, one of the best ways to do that is to care about them. Definitely. Don't order. Ask for help. It, it's so much more effective to say, "Can I get your help on this?" Or "Would you help me on this?" "Would you help me think through this?" At least it, it is for me. Has been for me. Now. You know that's as I. Uh, that's not my advice for military commanders 
I don't think it works for everyone. You know, you can't do that in a crisis situation. You know, in, in a crisis situation, you know, decisions have to be made. You know, the the uh, you know the pilot doesn't say to the to the co-pilot on a on a plane that's that's uh, in distress. You know, a couple engines are on fire. <laughs> you know, will you help me on this? I mean, it's you know, different situations require. But generally speaking. You know, don't order, ask for help. And uh, and the final one, it was, uh, don't forget to say please and thank you. Your mother, What your mother told you was right. Excellent. Bill, you had a few additional thoughts with regards to advice to leaders. Can you talk about those a little? Uh, yes, sure. When we last talked, I mentioned that uh, with regard to advice to leaders, that that leaders uh, do not accept traditional organizational models as the gospel, you know, that those models really uh, hadn't changed much since the Industrial Revolution. And I mentioned uh, that uh, I admired uh, Charles Handy's uh, thinking in that regard. But I wanted to give you uh, an on-point example of, of not... Uh, of a leader not um, not accepting traditional organizational models as gospel. Uh, John McCoy's uncommon partnership at Bank One it was un- it was unconventional, but it was in my mind tactically brilliant and strategically brilliant as well. From a tactical standpoint, what the uncommon partnership did was it encouraged banks to accept acquisition proposals from Bank One as local leadership and and, uh, and local boards stayed in place. Uh, and But it was also strategically brilliant because it kept those local banks closer to their customers. There were issues, you know, uh, with the Uncommon Partnership. There were some integration issues uh, at, at the retail level, uh, operationally, um, there was a period of time when you couldn't, uh, for example, get a, a check written on Bank One Columbus at the Indianapolis Bank, and and clearly, you know, the operations people some you know, sorted that out. That shouldn't have been the case, but I don't, but I think it's entirely unfair to lay that at John McCoy's feet. I mean, he, he had a he had a great vision, an uncommon vision, that was tactically and strategically brilliant. And absent this comes to the uncommon partnership, uh, I think it's highly unlikely that Bank One would have outstripped uh, its rivals in the Midwest, and, be- and 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 uh, and I think it's extremely unlikely that Bank One would have become, you know, the very significant, uh, you know, super regional or in some some respects, uh, you know, national bank that it that it became. Sure. You know the 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 uh, one other uh, observation about leaders and 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 John had a vision at Bank One, you know, and that was to build this this bank. Leaders must have a challenging vision. Creative, competitive, entrepreneurial people are, are just aren't going to be motivated by some commonplace goal. There has to be a uh, a challenge you know, uh, a vision that captures the imagination. And uh, and then, of course, on top of that, you've got to have strategy and you've got to have, have a set of tactics uh, that are designed or developed 
to make achieving that vision possible. And I don't think, and this goes to the to the to the point I made about uh, you know about operational issues that that challenged in certain respects the uncommon partnership. I don't think a leader, the leadership is is uh, is supposed to have. I don't think it will have, and I don't think it can have all of the all of the answers. But I think what a quality leader does is uh, she or he brings or helps to bring the the, 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 the vision, the strategy, and the tactics uh, into clear focus. Sure. Well put. What about the traits that are most important in a leader? And again, I you know I, I haven't I haven't tried to prioritize these. Sure. Um, you know, I haven't tried to list them in, you know, from the most important to the least important. I think these are all important, and and maybe some of them are more important at one time than another, and, uh, you know, and maybe some of them aren't important to some leaders. The first one, you know, I, 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 you know, I think a lot of, of Patton, this one wasn't important to him, uh, humility. Uh, no matter how much you think you know and understand, you know less than half of what you need to know and understand. Hmm. You know, I think that's that's the case. Uh, you know, I don't think Patton was quite as unhumble as he appears, because you know he did say things like, you know, we can always learn from each other. Sure. Commitment and passion. You know, you've talked a lot about passion. Ask me a lot of questions about passion. Passion. Mm-hmm. You have to be committed and passionate. Compassion and empathy. If if you can't feel what other people feel, you can't understand. And if you can't understand, you can't lead. Oh, well put. The ability to listen, and, and I mean really listen. You know, we've all had conversations with with uh, uh, superiors, subordinates, colleagues, folks trying to sell us something, uh, who were listening. You know, they were hearing what we said, at least, but you know what they were really doing was working on, they weren't absorbing it. You know, they weren't taking it to heart. They were uh, preparing uh, their counterpoints. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's not really listening. Right. Uh, an appreciation of the importance of fundamentals. People, values, and culture are the key to any organization. And they are inextricably entwined. I don't think you can run a business by the numbers. I don't think you can run a business based on rules. And I don't think you can run a business based on fear and greed. People who try have it wrong. Sure. Uh, I think you've got to have a restless mind because no one has it all figured out. Nothing has been or will be perfect or will be perfected to the point where no further progress is possible. So when when you think uh, you're doing it the best it can be done, find a way to do it better. Because sure. if you don't, someone else will, uh, I guarantee you. Uh, loyalty down the chain of command. Yeah, this goes back to that, to uh, the quote I like from from uh, from from Patton, I mentioned at the outset of our conversation. Uh, loyalty down the chain of command in an organization is rare, and because of its rarity, 
more valuable than loyalty up the chain. Now, that's not to suggest that disloyalty up the chain of command is a good thing, but um, but loyalty, you know, uh, up the chain of command uh, too frequently, uh, you know, becomes acquiescence or or blind or blind loyalty, and you need people. And one of my concerns has always been how to get entirely honest feedback. You know, if if, if I'm full of it, I want anyone and everyone uh, at Red to tell me so. Sure. You know, not easy to get, and uh, even when even when you say you want it... Tough to receive it. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's tough to get it, and then it's tough to receive it when you do get it. But it makes the organization better. No doubt about it. The willingness and ability to communicate, you must communicate. I've mentioned listening. To be a good communicator, you must be a good listener. But beyond that, particularly in times of crisis, while you need to choose your words carefully and be thoughtful about timing, you must communicate often, and you must tell people the truth. Sure. And the last one was be optimistic and, and convey your optimism, but, but, but never allow your optimism to, to become hubris. And, you know, I, I mentioned, and this is a, a quote I've used, uh, again, on the cover of one of our uh, books, strategic, you know, strategic preps and goals for uh, for a year. Uh, Andy Gross says, "Only the paranoid survive." Mm. It, you know, and, and I agree with that. But I think you can be paranoid and also be optimistic. Uh, that is to say, you can think they're after us, but if we do the right things, I know we will win. You had listed some of the traits and went through some of the traits that you think are most important in a leader. And you did have an additional thought uh, going back to the the passion and commitment that's necessary uh, for a leader to possess. Could you talk a little bit about that? Right. You know, I, I keep thinking about this stuff. And, and, of course, the more you think about it, the more things you identify. And, uh, and and actually, I've got a couple of, of, of additional thoughts. Okay. Uh, you know, as you say, passion and commitment. Uh, yeah, I, I think you must be passionate and you must be committed. To be successful at anything, you, you must be committed. To be successful as a leader, you must, you must have passion as well. Uh, there's something infectious about passion. If, if a leader is passionate then those around uh, her or him tend to absorb that passion, and, and, and that energizes an organization. It can, even, it can even create a movement. If you think about some great leaders, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, for example, they were committed, certainly, but they were also very passionate. Um, and then, then there, there are two, two additional traits. I, 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 I was going to say final traits, but I, you know, but there are so many. Uh, as you keep thinking about it, I'm not certain I'm willing to say final. But, so, two, <laughs> you know, two additional traits: sure, uh, imagination and creativity. Mm. And I mention those because absent imagination, I don't think you can develop a compelling vision you know, a compelling, challenging vision. And absent creativity, 
I don't think uh, you can devise an innovative strategy, you know, or quickly respond with new tactics as the playing field changes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, I think leaders, you know, that that, that the very best leaders, uh, in addition to everything else I've mentioned, you know, are um, are, are are have have are imaginative and creative. You know, I guess when you say that, who pops to mind? First person that pops to, in, to, to mind to me is Walt Disney. Right. I mean, imagine the, the imagination and the creativity and the enterprise that came out of that. Well, it's certainly amazing when you yep. spend a lot of time down there in Orlando, and it's it's blows my mind every time I'm there. So, yep. What about an organization's ability to stifle leaders, or conversely, to encourage them? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, uh, I think what you know. Sadly, uh, I think what what I think most organizations are wonderful at stifling leaders and leadership. Uh, you know. Think about the word organization. I mean, what does that imply to us? Hierarchy, everything in its place, command and control, the right. dominance of management and managers. You know, I think organizations need to be less organized and to admit the value of leaders and leadership, assuming they want to, they want to generate organic growth. And I've mentioned several times uh, Gordon McKenzie's book, Orbiting the Giant Hairball, and I think he's right on. I mentioned this. I mentioned his uh, his this, this. I paraphrased uh, a quote of his earlier. Uh, you know, he he says in Orbiting the Giant Hairball, workers are being sucked inside out by the corporate milking machines, mm. and uh, he argues that corporations need creativity to grow and prosper. Uh, I, I think they also need entrepreneurial thinking and aggressive leadership, not just from the top, but throughout uh, the organization. But curiously, most of them stifle what they need most. To try to drive growth in an organization uh, from the top, you know, from the top of a large company, is like trying to hit a golf ball from the top of your backswing. Uh, you know, I, I, Brian, I... Brian, I don't know if you're a golfer, but but if you are, <laughs> not a good you know, one. <laughs> okay, well maybe the reason is you try to hit the ball from the top of your backswing. You know, if you try to hit the ball from from the top of your backswing, it just doesn't work. Mm. It's it's uh, the uh, Jack Nicholas has a uh, one of the one of the fellows I like to to, to talk about the golf swing with. Uh, Larry Dornish, who's the, the head pro out of Muirfield, is a good friend of. Jack Nicholas's, as you might ex- expect, sure. and you know, and, and when we talk about the golf swing, when we, I hit balls, and we we talk about my swing, you know, he gives me these little, from time to time, these little thought of Jack Nicholas's, and one of, one of those thoughts uh, is something like, uh, that first move from your from the top of your, your backswing toward the ball, needs to be as as measured, and patient. As that first move away from the ball when you start your backswing, which should be a very patient, 
move. I mean, you don't jerk the the the, the club away from the ball when you start your backswing. Right. Same thing from the top. From the top, you know, that you just the club just drops into that slot uh, in a very measured, patient way. Easier to say than it is to do because <laughs> we, we want to hit it. <laughs> right, right. You know, but 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 the point is, uh, you know, trying to drive uh, growth from the top of an organization uh, is like trying to hit a golf ball from the top of your backswing. It just it just doesn't work. Hmm. Uh, so so Mackenzie's point uh, is that, and I agree with him that, and and this is a book I've shared with lots of people, uh, and is on my list a couple of places I think, and and you'll get the the link to attach. You know, organizations need to realize that they're hairballs and to allow their subunits to orbit. I mean, we talked about this earlier. Because absent creating room, you know, creating that room for, for individual thinking, you know, for exploratory growth, you know, for, for entrepreneurism, uh, it's very hard uh, for a corporation to grow other than through acquisitions. And it strikes me... That, that one of the reasons you see so many big companies, there are lots of other reasons, but one of the reasons you see so many big companies buying small companies is, you know, that they, they've made it difficult to generate growth internally, and so then they have to go out and buy it. Sure. I think I just, well, I know I just had read something from uh, from Jack Welch, where he was talking about that exact thing of just that notion that companies just continue to add bureaucracy and and mid-level, um, basically, you know, just mid-level management and just the notion of growth, you know, it it just gets confused in organizations and and you actually end up hindering your ability to grow. I thought that was really interesting. I think that's a really interesting point, and I agree with that. And it brings to mind the the contrast uh, between Microsoft and and IBM. Uh, at least IBM, before uh, Lou Gerstner took over uh, running the organization, IBM on the one side, on one hand, was very structured. From what I read, very bureaucratic, very organized. And while on the other hand, um, Microsoft actually allowed a, uh, a, a a fair degree of competition, if you will, frictions and competitions between you know various subsections of Microsoft. There might be there might there might have been people in various units of Microsoft pursuing you know similar ends by different means. And a lot of organizations would see waste in that, would see waste in that competition. And it's curious, it seems to me, that, you know, that, that, uh, that we haven't learned by observing, well, for example, the development of capitalism or for observing, by observing, for example, you know, the development of, of Europe versus the development of China. Uh, not recently, but but uh, you know, from 1400 through 1800, you know that 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 in fact competition uh, drives efficiency, breeds creativity, and and is overall a very good thing. China had all of the 
basically, you know, basically had was was decades, uh, more than decades ahead in technology, but was a very organized, uh, controlled uh, society, and uh, with controlled politics, a unified state, where Europe, you know, was of course broken up into into hundreds, thousands of, of small political units. There was lots of competition, you know, over time it coalesced. But um, uh, the final chapter of, of Guns, Germs, and Steel deals with optimal fragmentation. And, um, and I think it's a lesson that, you know, that a lot of corporations would be well to learn. Uh, there's some real value uh, in fragmentation and competition. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. And again, here's another thing. You, you know, you, the more you think about this, your questions are so good. You know, you, <laughs> they really are. You know, you, 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 you keep thinking about these things. And, you know, you, you recall things that, uh, you know, statements you've made or memos you've written or discussions you've had or, you know, or, or thoughts from a year or two or three years ago, and they keep sort of, coming back to the surface. So so this has been a great experience for me. Oh, terrific. Uh, but the, the, the what can organizations do to encourage or stifle leaders? Well, uh, it's strangely, oddly, sometimes organizations seem to react negatively to commitment and particularly to passion. We, we just talked about commitment and passion a little bit ago and how important I think they are. It's hard for me to understand why that, that happens. Uh, or why that's the case, but perhaps there's a concern uh, that, that that those who feel both may value the part more than the whole. Hmm. Uh, you know, perhaps it's because uh, too many organizations want their employees and their managers to be interchangeable parts. Okay. You know, you know, we've and I guess that there's value in that. I mean, there's value in moving people around and making sure they know each other. But it takes, but it just like it takes a while to put down roots. I, it seems to me in a community and be commit and be committed to a community. It it takes it takes time to put down roots in a in a company in a business or in a part of a company or business. And and uh, over time, I mean, commitment and passion are are things that grow uh, as a result of of interactions with people and and uh, you know experience one has. And and if there's too much moving people around. I, I wonder if you ever get that. Sure. You, you know, this, this concern about that I perceive, or at least that I think I perceive in, in, uh, uh, out there in, in some organizations about um, this, this concern I think I perceive about uh, too much commitment or too much passion um, mystifies me because, you know, I think it's a very positive and important thing. Right. And, and I, you know, and I don't think being committed uh, to or or passionate to a part precludes being loyal to or being committed to uh, or being passionate about the whole or or the next larger part. My commitment, uh, for example, and passion about my family doesn't cut against my commitment or or passion about my friends. You know about the employees of Red Capital Group. It doesn't cut against the my commitment and and uh, and passion about the community I live in. Uh, it doesn't 
and 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 in turn you go up that scale if you will my you know my passion and commitment uh passion about and commitment to uh, the community I live in doesn't uh cut against my passion uh for and commitment to this country and right. similarly my my commitment to and, and passion for this country doesn't cut against uh, my passion for and commitment to the earth or to humanity. Right. I mean, it seems to me those things. I mean, if, if you start pulling pieces of the pieces of, uh, of those out, can it really fit together at all? Hmm. I, I I think Warren Buffett understands, as he understands so much. One of the next books I'm going to to share uh, with business partners and customers and and others, is uh, is a book called The Essays of Warren Buffett, Lessons for Corporate America. The book is comprised of excerpts from Berkshire Hathaway's shareholder letters. There's enormous wisdom in, in Buffett's letters to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. You know, you, I think you go through life and you start out and everything's, when you're really young, everything's pretty simple. Then it gets really complicated, at least it did for me. And then eventually you start, things start becoming a little simpler. Hmm. What Buffett does so well is simplify the complex. And that's what, and that's what those who have gained real understanding do. I, I think Buffett's a great thinker, and someday maybe I'll get real lucky and have, uh, have the opportunity to, to, uh, to talk with him for an hour, or, or, or maybe I should say, just sit down and listen to him for an hour someday. Sure. Well, you know what? What an education that would be. But back to the, my point about commitment and passion. Buffett says, uh, or is quoted in this, this this book I'm going to share from one of his shareholder letters, uh, as follows: We like to do business with someone who loves his company, not just the money. When this emotional en- enhancement exists, it signals that important qualities will likely be found within the business. Honest accounting, pride of product, respect for customers, and a loyal group of associates having a strong sense of direction. When, when Berkshire Hathaway acquires a business, so far as I can tell, there's no expectation that management's commitment to and passion for that acquired business will wane. And unless I miss my guess, Buffett would be pretty disappointed were that to happen. Right. So, so what can organizations do to, in, 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 in sum, what can organizations do to encourage leaders? Well, the first thing they should do is not discourage them. Uh, the second thing they ought to do is identify leaders, and, and I don't really think that's all that hard. In many instances, all organizations need to do is sort of lurch to consciousness as, uh, as leaders tend to identify themselves through actions and deeds. Sure. You know, and then once leaders are identified or identify themselves, allow them to lead. Right. That's, uh, I think you do well to boil that down into a, a simple message. And as you said, said earlier, oftentimes the levels of complexity seem to impede that. So. Yeah. In so many areas of life, we tend to make things a lot more complicated than they need to be. This concludes podcast segment three. Now finish up with the final segment of William Roberts. 
Leader of the Month for August 2007.